Do you want to make today amazingly or ridiculously amazing? I did. And so my special guest today, Flavia Powell, came to us from the UK, and she is the happiness engineer. We talked about self-destructive behavior and how life in, she grew up in Romania during communism, and how she went to the bathroom in an outhouse. We've come a long way over the years, and she's come through some incredible experiences of self-doubt, feeling ugly, feeling worthless, being used and groomed by a man that took her from Romania to the UK and abused her for a year, and she didn't know any differently until she did. This story today is about how we can take our power back, how we can stand up and finally speak up and be there to tell our story to help one person. So come in, stay with us, join our show today, Stand Up and Speak Up with Flavia Powell from the UK. Have a great day, everybody. (laughs) It's a beautiful day in paradise, and I'm saying hi to my Canadian friends who are cold this morning, and uh, it's gorgeous here today. So today is an amazing, well, we're going to make it a ridiculously amazing morning. I have a super guest coming to us all the way across the pond in England, and I'd like to welcome my friend, Miss Flavia Powell. How are you today? I'm very good, thank you, and ha- thank you for inviting me well, on this my, podcast. It's my pleasure, and it always makes me smile when I hear my friends from England and their wonderful accents. And uh, <laughs> you know, you know, Sammy and, you know, uh, Kazia and Debbie and all those girls. And, and I don't like your open disclosure. I don't like the F word, but it just cracks me up when Sammy and the girls in England say it. So if it pops out today, I'll laugh. If it doesn't. I don't tend to, I don't tend to use it a great deal. Besides, <laughs> I come, I come all the way from Romania. I live in England, but I come all the way from Romania. There we don't go. use the F word there. <laughs> but we'll, we'll save it for Sammy and the girls in England. So Flavia comes to us. Um, I actually met Flavia. We are book sisters from Notes to My Younger Self. She was actually in volume two. I was in volume one. It's a fabulous story about the Pay It Forward series by Kazia Luckett. And we were all able to write our story. I wrote back to my 15-year-old self. And it was an extraordinary experience of women being really open. And we're going to talk about that today because I know that's a big part of your story. But just briefly, now that you just told me you're from Romania, tell me a little bit about where you grew up and a little about your family. And then we're going to jump right into what you're doing today. Ah, so I was born in a a place called Cluj-Napoca. It's quite a big city, but lived uh, about half an hour out of the city in a little village called Jugu de Jos. So I was brought up during the communism when, when Ceausescu was still alive. We had, my dad was a vicar, so we had our parish home. And um, I think, an, an actual fact, I think Mother Nature is coming back to this. We, we grew all our own vegetables. We had a big, big orchard. Um, we didn't have central heating, so we had to light the fire, you know, chop the wood, light the fire. We had a toilet outside in the back garden, which was very cold, with toilet paper made from sunflower shells. So (laughs) don't visualize this, but you exfoliated well, too, at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, and and it it, it was wonderful because we were were brought up in in a time when we had our TV was this, this big. Uh, black and white little box 
Um, yeah, and it, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. It, there were obviously also difficulties because we, we had food rations at the time being during the communism. But luckily, because my family had, you know, the vegetables and the fruits and our neighbours had their own animals and milk and we all shared, we all shared. So uh, although there was big poverty, there was also plenty of abundance. But did you feel, did you feel like you lived in poverty? I mean, a lot of times you don't know it because you don't, there's nothing to compare with. So that's reality. And yeah, we, we didn't know it. The only time we sort of knew is when we were only allowed four slices of salami <laughs> and we wanted more. <laughs> so that was the only time really. And um, when it came to clothes and shoes and, um, you know, the, it was a very special moment when merchandise was brought to the village shop and we, we managed to get our sort of yearly school shoes, which we then wore at any special occasions or the church on Sunday. And uh, yeah, but we, we didn't know any difference. We didn't know any difference. So did you have brothers and sisters? Yes, I have a brother. Younger, older? He's a year and four months older than me. So again, very lucky because we had we had each other yeah. to sort of play. Because as you can imagine, in those times, we we didn't really have so back in just before 1989, before the revolution, we didn't really have toys. You know, we had very little. So it was pots and pans and, and playing outside. Um, very, very different to to the way children are brought up nowadays. Now you you have children. You have two kids. I do. Yeah. Did you bring the kids up in in England? Yes. So yes. they have they been back to Romania to see that? They've been they've been back quite a lot, but uh, we moved to the city in 1990. So uh, again, it's a very different life. The city versus. Um, the, the village life, you know, in the villages. Well, when I first took my son to Romania, I, I would say the villages were probably like a hundred years behind the cities. So different life. And we'd already started to have, you know, similar foods, the foods in England, more clothing, uh, abundance of, of, of things which we didn't have before. Well, so they experienced Romania in a slightly different way. That's really interesting because we, we look today and I always say, you know, I've grown up here in America, but I've traveled outside and I always feel like if you get out of America, you appreciate it a whole lot more. And, and it's the same there where you, you grew up with what a lot of us would say that was basics and almost nothing, but you were still a happy family. You still had neighbors and could do some cool things. Um, so it's really, it's all relative and it's, it's between the years. I, mean, I think we experience things that children, children don't nowadays, such as, you know, we, we used to take our water straight from the well. We didn't have a bathroom. So we used to heat the water after lighting the fire in a big bowl. And that, that was our bath. Um, yeah. So I think when you live like that now, even this morning when I went to the bathroom and I sat down and I said, I'm so grateful for this warm <laughs> <laughs> it's those little things you know and it's really it's it's wonderful so I honor you with that and and for what you went through because you've had an extraordinary life and and you're talking about all these things I'm thinking she's not that old um uh, and <laughs> relatively speaking you're not uh, I love to put myself around younger ladies uh, but you've had some interesting experiences now we're going to jump right in because you have 
I look at your picture and I look at your beautiful smile and I think she is one of my women behind the smile. Because you you lived a life, Flavia, for many, many years where you put on that smile and you didn't you didn't say what really happened in your life. So if you don't mind, we're gonna dive right in. Yeah. Sure. You're a happiness engineer today, but yeah. you didn't always have that happiness in your life. Can you kind of explain some of the things that you've been through? And then we're gonna talk about how you got out of that and have become I, a I can, today. yeah. So Actually, the, the sunflowers, uh, they, they really mean a lot to me because when I, was, when I was little, when we lived in the village, I used to sit on the fence and we had lots and lots of sunflowers and they used to make me happy. I didn't know why, but they used to bring me a lot of happiness. And uh, it, quite often we'd, we'd cut the head of a sunflower and we'd sit there, my brother and I, and just eat the seeds straight from the flower whilst talking. Um, and, and they do, they, they brought me a lot of peace then, they bring me a lot of peace now. Um, so my family was, um, I suppose, happy comparing to other families, but um, there were many, many difficult moments. There were many difficult moments. Uh, my father was very placid, very relaxed, but also he had his own his own demons, I think, that he was dealing with, which we, of course, as children, we didn't know about. Um, and my mom worked very hard. You know, a lot of the time, whilst my dad was studying, my mom was working the land, and there was a lot of, of land to work whilst working night shifts and, and trying to bring some money in to be able to provide for us. And, and so it was a fairly volatile environment behind closed doors. Um, also, I was... I guess a bit of a daydreamer. I was very different in a way because I was a very happy child, I was, but I was also, my head was in the clouds all the time. So I was dream, dreaming of beautiful things, which meant I spent very little time with my feet on the ground. <laughs> um, and so my mom and I didn't have the best relationship. She was trying to sort of steer me onto this path, which she had planned for me, which she could see. And I just couldn't fit on this, on this path that she had in mind for me. And I couldn't behave in a way that, made her happy no matter what I did um, and, and also at the time physical discipline was was what was done everybody did it and so did my family so we received a lot of a lot of physical discipline and um, so from a very young age um, I learned that I wasn't good enough um, that I couldn't fit in and that um, you, you Sometimes you can smile at the wrong time, right? Sometimes you can, uh, you know, it's never a good idea to smile during a disciplining moment. <laughs> so in, in time, I just learned to kind of keep my head down and just pretend that everything was okay. And in actual fact, in the society in those times, that was the taught thing. You know, whatever you're going through, just keep your head up, put a smile on your face and just carry on. Uh, so that's what I did. So, so the hiding behind the smile that you're talking about was probably that, because if in doubt, just keep your head straight, put a smile on your face, and, and that's how you live life. Now, I guess not being accepted in my family life drove me towards looking for those people who did accept me. Mm -hmm. um, also, my mom was very much into, into social status. You know, she wanted me to surround myself with people who had good families and they were well educated and, and they were in professions which were considered at the time to be good profession and useful professions 
Um, and I was drawn to completely the opposite. I was drawn to people who loved working with their hands, to be people who loved people. Um, I said from from about the age of six, I said, one day I'm going to be a brain doctor. I'm going to help people so they don't have to be hurt anymore. Um, so I attracted the wrong people and I got myself in situations where, um, you know, that real despair to be loved brought me the sort of people who I guess pushed me closer to me having to love myself. <laughs> um, you know, which is sad. It's really sad because um I even even up until two years ago, I was still questioning, have I got this right? Is this true love? Is this what it means? Because it really confused me, you know, to be to be hurt. Do you want me to dive into it? To dive yeah, into, yes, into you, the story? You, yeah, if you would, because we have people that are out there and, and that's what stand up and speak up is all about. We all have something yeah. that's happened in our lives. And it, and you've come out with your story. It's in the book. It's yeah. in the book, the volume two of notes to my younger self. But there are women and men, but we're speaking to women right now that are out there that have been through what you've been through and are feeling alone and isolated and afraid to talk. Yeah. So that's why I honor your story because you've owned it. And then we'll talk about how it was writing about it. Yeah. And getting yeah. Okay. Okay. Please. Yeah. So I attracted the wrong people. I attracted the wrong boyfriends. So I, I was sexually abused at a, a very young age, or so I thought. I'll dive into this in a little in a little while. Um, at, at the age of 12, um, very young, I didn't know what was happening, didn't know it was wrong, had had no idea. Um, I then met somebody from England, somebody who used to come and help with the orphanages in Romania. Um, and unbeknown to me, I was being groomed. And so much so that you know, the more I was being disciplined at home, the closer he was becoming to me. And now he was, in a way, he was my God. He was my everything. No, he's here to protect me. He's here to keep me safe. And so I was groomed up until, well, I, it, I was groomed and sexually abused up until the age of 19 when I said no more, when I realized that something was wrong. Uh, I moved to England. I came to England every single holiday. It was happening during this whole time. Um, and so by the, by the time I got to 19, I started interacting with youngsters, other people of my age. And I realized that I was very different, that the way I lived my life was very different and that something, something bad was happening to me, something wrong was happening to me. Um, and of course, when I said no more, I lost all my privileges. So I had to, you know, move out everything. All my allowances were taken away from me. Um, and I had to start again. Um, <clears throat> so I started working at night shifts in a nursing home to be able to provide for myself, to be able to finish my college course. So I've jumped a few, I've jumped a few events. So this gentleman promised to bring me to England to university, promised my family to bring me to England to university, uh, promised me to have my own car, my own apartment. Uh, so I was, as long as I gave him what he wanted, so I believed him because I thought this was part of me. He was using words such as, you know, you're an extension of me and I give this to you and you give this to me and, and you know, you must keep this between us because it's very special. So as naive as I was, of course, I kept it. I kept it very private because it was very special. Well, I got to England and there was no car, there was no apartment, and I'd been enrolled in college instead of university. 
And so for the first year, he funded my college and I lived with him and um, at his home and his wife and his children. And all this was happening whilst she was out at work. Um, and in the second year, I said no more because I started to feel really dirty. I started to obsessively wash. My hands were bleeding. I just wasn't happy. I didn't want to do the things that I was being asked to do. Uh, so when I stood up and said no more, he said, well, you're going to have to move out and uh, you'll have to pay for your own course because we can't, you know, I can't support you anymore. Um, and so I remember my 19th birthday. Nobody came in my room and I lay there on the sofa all on my own. There were no presents, not a happy birthday. Um, and even now on my birthday, I think, is somebody going to turn up? Am I going to get a happy birthday? Oh, yeah, I am. So I buy myself a present from me to me every birthday. There is a from me to me because I know that I'm going to get a present no matter what, because I'm in charge of my own happiness. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so I moved out. I stood up for myself, but I had to go and work for £3.60 an hour in a nursing home to provide for my college course. Luckily, I'd made quite a few friends and a wonderful lady who helped me um, and lent me some money, which I later paid back. And that's how I found my love for working with people. Um, because I worked in those in those homes and, and I used to love listening to people's life stories and I could really understand where, you know, the hurt or the pain might have come from and which is what led me to where I am today. Um, but even up until a couple of years ago, my body was, my mind was very strong, but my body was very unwell um, and I was getting repeated kidney infections and I still found myself suppressing emotions and being unable to speak up because of course as a child when I did I'd get a back of the hand and my lips were still tingling even up until a couple of years ago if I had something to say and I couldn't say it, I'd feel that tingle in my lips so I went to have some more treatment um, and I found out of course I had no memory of this at all I had no memory of it but of course my body was very clever and this is how I found out how clever the body is because I started get as I was going through the treatment, I started getting flashing images from when I was five. And I realized that I'd been abused between the age of five and eight with absolutely no memory of it. But all that was sitting in my body and which is what was making me really ill with bladder infections and kidney infections. Um, so that was it was a, a shock to start with. But at the same time, not really, because I sort of sensed that something wasn't wasn't right. Um, and I also remember at the age of five, having made the decision that I'm in charge of my own life. And if I don't have my own back, nobody else will. Um, and it was at that point that I made this decision because I couldn't tell anyone. If I was going to tell my mum, I'd get a, a, a beating. If I was going to tell his wife, I'd hurt her feelings. Uh, so I thought, I'm in trouble. What do I do? So I never told anybody, never told a soul anything until I was just over 30 and I had a complete nervous breakdown oh, that was going to be one of my questions when you when you actually moved out of his home did you tell your family you know how, how did you or didn't you you didn't I tried but nobody believed me oh yeah I I tried I tried throughout the 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 grooming happening I tried to find out whether it was right um, and it wasn't, it wasn't the sort of thing my family talked about. It wasn't the sort of thing most families in Romania talk about. Right. Um, I mean, even the first time, you know, I got my first period, I screamed from my dad thinking I'm going to be in so much trouble. 
what, what have I done? I had no idea. So it wasn't something we talked about. Um, and eventually, when I when I did mention it, uh, not only was my family disgusted, uh, but I stopped seeking attention. Uh, you know, so I wasn't. Yeah, I think I was. I was seen as a liar as opposed to. Um, yeah. <laughs> so honest about it, though, because. You know, I, I didn't grow up like that, and, but I've heard so many women that have that are just starting to talk about it because yeah. our families don't talk about those things and it's, yeah. it's forbidden and it, you know, yeah, I behind that smile, you're fine. And even though you're, you know, you know, you're not, um, but it affects you as a child. I'm, I'm reading a book now called the five love languages for children and oh, really love languages is wonderful, but I wanted to understand my grandkids better. And then see my children through that book. And I actually, one of the, one of the exercises for parents is to go to your adult children and say, what do you remember made you feel loved? How did you feel loved as a child? And I asked my daughter this the other day and she's 32 now. And she said, I was the very genuine lover in the, of the parents. My husband was more of the disciplinarian and he's passed away. But Jenny said, mom, the things I remember about daddy are when he and I went to New York by ourselves on a daddy daughter date and went to see the Yankees play baseball oh. that made her feel good. Then she was sick for a week. At one point, I have no re recollection of this. They sat together and watched TV, watched Perry Mason shows. He loved Perry Mason. So lovely. So there are a couple of things that she mentioned in it. It was together time. And I've noticed as she's gotten older, it's not the gifts. It's not the words of affirmation. It's spending time together. And okay. she and I, that, that made her feel loved. And she and I just spent some time in Hawaii together, babysitting for my oldest kid, son's kids. And we hiked and we swam and we ate and we just had fun together. And that filled up her love bucket and mine too, because mine is very much spending the time together. So knowing that, knowing those love languages of our children, it makes us think about them differently. In your life, looking back, your love languages were just shut down. They were, they were, they were very much shut down. And and you know, you know, from where I am now, I look back and I think there's there's nobody to blame. People only do what they do with what they know. And we had clothes, we had food, we had a warm home, um, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, and actually, my mom now says if I could go back. And I could I could do one thing better is I would spend time with you. And I was thinking and that is what I could have really done with because it took me. I mean, I, I you know, I still don't claim to know it all, but it, it took me up until my 40s to actually be able to to sit in a hug and sit comfortable in a hug mm -hmm. without thinking, what what do you want from me? Um, because nobody taught me that that's natural. That's just what you do. Yeah. 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 Wow. It's actually my daughter who who really taught me because she'd hang on to my neck and not let go. And I used to have to work my way through. <gasps> I can't breathe. <gasps> I can't breathe to be able to just settle. And I know I want her to take what she needs. Um, and slowly but surely she kept hanging on my neck. And then I found myself hanging on to hers thinking, hey, this is OK. I quite like this. <laughs> 
Well, and, and I know you're darling JP. So, you know, I'm sure, but I'm sure there was an, you know, as you got into another, another relationship that come that comes to play. I, I, you yeah. know, I work with a lot of women who've been taken advantage of financially and in, in an online relationship. So it wasn't necessarily physical, although there are many of them, um, but it's very difficult to move forward to allow yourself to get into a relationship for real. Yeah. So how were you able to do that? Oh, oh. well, I, I'm very good at putting my smile on my face, put it that way. So usually, and it's not fake because I am genuinely a really You're very happy bubbly, person. Yeah, you, you call yourself the bubbly one. Yeah, I do. So it's not fake. I'm a very happy person. And I, I spend a lot of time on this, you know, really high vibration. And, and so people are attracted to the energy, aren't they? Absolutely. But, but of course, we all have the other side, you know, the side that needs nurturing. Um, and I think a lot of people, when they meet me, they don't see the other side, they see the bubbly. Um, so I think it's always been a bit of a shock when entering a relationship that, oh, she's not bubbly. No, I'm under a blanket resting and relaxing. Um, and I think getting into a relationship was, was great because I love talking to people. I love interacting. Being huggy was challenging in every relationship, um, you know, and, and actually giving myself permission to sit under a blanket every now and then. And I tend, I, I, I had a tendency to create these models where, no, no, it's okay. You sit, I'll do it all. You sit, I'll do it. I'll get it done because I was so restless and I needed to move and I wasn't comfortable to sit. So it took me a while, you know, in a relationship to get used to, hey, it's okay for you to just sit. It's okay to have dinner placed in front of you. It's okay to have a hug without anything else. And that's true. We, we need to give yeah. our permission and give ourselves permission. I, I interviewed a gal last week. She said, give yourself permission to have fun. Yeah. Act like a child sometimes because we all want yeah. to grow up and it's like, stop being so childish. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. And it's like, we've lost our sense of fun in many, in many ways because we wanted to be adult. And I, I love it. my kids say, well, we're adulting right now. I'm like, where did that word come from? Adulting. They're, <laughs> they're taking responsibility as an adult to do, you know, pay the bills and do this kind of stuff. But they really do want to have fun. They do. And you know, what? I was I was lucky in many ways because my mom was a hard worker, you know, and, and she did the same because we do carry those patterns, don't we? You sit down, I'll do it. Um, so she, she was more serious. But I do remember, you know, between her seriousness, she had this amazing laughter. Well, she still does. She has the best laughter when she when she lets out this belly laugh, the, the, the whole room lights up. It was rare that we saw it but when we saw it it was wonderful but my dad was very playful so I don't think my dad was was grown up um you know so we had this dynamic where quite often my mom would be at work and my dad would put her hat on and a scarf and he'd be dancing around the kitchen um yeah and both my brother and I have that playful side that's good because I was just thinking you know how does how does their relationship work if he's <laughs> like my it lasted for 29 years. And then my dad uh, gave up on the priesthood and my mother and the home and uh, moved away. He just had enough. I mean, it must have been very difficult during the um, communism. And also my dad wanted to be a, a lecturer. He actually wanted to teach English. He didn't want to be a priest. Really? Yeah, yeah. So he, he, he 
did it more for my mum because that's what she wanted. Yeah. And I think he had 29 years of thinking, I'm in the wrong job here. I don't want to do this. <laughs> well, bless him for, for standing up for himself and, and you know, finding what really made him light up because you've done that too. And I want to go to the book really quickly, the notes to my younger self. This is, it was Kazia's baby, Kazia Luckett, yeah. our, our dear friend. And it was, I just thought when I heard about it a couple of years ago, you know, the pay it forward series, I love that whole idea of paying it forward, but then writing our story to our, to me, to my 15 year old self to say, Hey, this is what you could have, not, not to could have should have yourself, but I'm seeing it from a different perspective now. Those things that you thought were life stopping yeah. weren't. Yeah. And wouldn't you like, to, you know, if we could see ahead, we would make different choices, but you can't go back. You can't go back and change things. You can just understand them better. So when you were presented with the idea of writing in the book, what got you interested in it? And how did you feel as you were writing it? Oh, it's really interesting. I mean, first of all, if I could go back through my life, I would change nothing. Mm-hmm. I, I've arrived at that point where I would change nothing because it's put me in such a beautiful position to help other people um, and, and do the job that I said I would when I was six years old, you know, do do the work. And uh, well, I don't, I don't class it as work, but, you know, to, to help other people. Um, so when it came to writing the book, I actually met Kazia at um, Brand Builders Club and, and I saw her. I didn't know her. But as soon as I saw her, I thought I must meet this lady. There's something about this lady. I have to meet her. And I spoke to her and she was telling me about um, the book. I went to the volume one. Um, and she said, you know, would you like to be in the book? And I thought I'd love to, but I don't have a story. I don't, I don't have a story to tell. There are so many people out there who have you know, incredible stories. Um, and so when we we had, you know, our initial meeting to and, and mapping out the events throughout our lives, and I started to write down, I still didn't realize that I had a really powerful story. But me wanting to be in the book was driven by, you know, I went through that. And I know that I can help people. I know that, you know, because I'm here, and I did it and I went through that and I'm still here so I can surely I can help other people. So I was very much driven by touching the lives of other people. Um, and they do say by focusing on something that's bigger than your pain, your pain becomes insignificant. And I found that for me, that wanting to help other people going through grooming or sexual abuse or, or physical abuse, mental, emotional abuse, um, helping other people brought real purpose to my life. Um, when I wrote the chapter, I wrote it, I don't think I realized how disassociated I was from my own emotions, because I wrote it, and I wrote it all in one go. Uh, And I thought, right, that's done. But then I thought, well, that's strange, because that's not right. You know, I, I, surely I must feel something if I'm not feeling anything that's not good and obviously when being a therapist I spotted straight away that I was just switched off to everything and I went back and I I read it and I read it and I read it and this anger started to bubble up and and this real pain started to bubble up because all those years I blamed myself I thought it was something that I'd done the fact that I wasn't good enough I wasn't um, you know, who I, who 
everybody wanted me to be. It was my fault that I attracted those people. I've been told not to surround myself with particular people and yeah, I did it anyway. And um, so I blame myself. And all of a sudden I realized that none of it was my fault. Um, so that was that brought with it a lot of emotion so much so that I needed I needed a lot of support from um, Kazia and from my book system, sisters and, and therapy support to be able to go through it. Um, yes, but afterwards, you know, I, I turned around and I looked at it and I, I felt real compassion for my whole family. Uh, I felt real compassion for my abuser because I thought, who hurt you so badly that you need to hurt other people? in that way you know um so I was able to let go of all all that emotion I will not lie I was frightened it was it was scary because I had flashing images that I really didn't want to look at again mm-hmm. uh, but again I was driven by a, a bigger purpose by a bigger mission and I thought if, if this book if this story helps just one person just for them to know that you stand strong and you stand stubborn but be brave. Just look there. Look in those areas where you don't want to look. Be brave and look there and you'll find that you can heal. You know, it doesn't have to to dictate the rest of your life. It doesn't define you. And, and I, I think that's why we're all we all come into each other's lives at this particular time, because I felt the exact same way. You know, you don't want to be defined by what happened, but it all came down to this is bigger than me. And how can we be there for one person? I don't care if I meet a million people, just one. And that's what I loved about your story, because there are times, and and I think as you were talking about the victim blame, victims get blamed all the time, but to blame ourselves is the most, I found the most damaging because it's harder to forgive yourself than it is to forgive the abuser, the family, the everybody else. Yeah. Oh, I was still describing him as a, a wonderful person. Oh, he's lovely. He's helped me with this and he's helped me with that. And because he, he, I just went, he's what? <laughs> you know, so I, I was, I, and I thought I'd, I'd accepted it all. Okay, it happened. It is what it is. But of course, I still had, you know, if somebody would come from behind, my energy would just drained, you know, really easily startled. And, and my body was, was very poorly. I used to burn out. I'd function for two or three days and then burn out and then up again and then burnout again very very quickly and that's destructive to your to your heart to your organs yeah. I mean, your your body doesn't like that up and down I mean I saw that with my late husband it was it was weight for him and he would mm. gain 100 pounds lose 100 pounds gain 30 pounds lose 30 I hit back and forth back and forth well he ended up having a massive heart attack at 56 yeah. if you think yeah. about it your body can only do so much and in your case you, there was a lot of self-destructive behavior that had to stop yeah. Um, yeah. But it was, you know, caused by these other things. But it is amazing. I mean, and I heard you talk about the story about how you felt when it was done. And it's very, it releases the negative energy when you write it. And that I'm such a proponent of get your story down in a written form. Because then it's a story. It's not you. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I had to go back because I've had, I've had years of therapy and I'd learned various strategies some good some not so good and how to cope so you know one of the strategies in my 20s was to drink a lot and to smoke a lot 
Um, then I thought, no, 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 this has to stop. Oh, before then it was self-harm. Um, then I thought, no, 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 we need to move away from this, have to move away from this. So I, I, I started exercising, but I started overly exercising. You know, every time a negative emotion crept in, I exercised. Then I went from over exercising to putting all my focus into helping other people. Mm. Never mind me, let's focus on you. So I, I had to learn that, you know, I was important too. And I will never forget the day I was really angry about something. And I stood up and I said, I matter too. And then I stopped and I went, oh my goodness, I matter too. I matter. And it was that moment when I thought, it's okay to have compassion, but it's not okay if you're not included in it. Compassion, true compassion is when you're part of it. You know, and true love is when you're part of it. True giving is when you give to yourself so that you give from a, from a place of fully charged, not when you're depleted. So we all live with emotion, with negative emotions. And I heard you talk about this too, though. We can take those. And I want you to describe how can we take those negative emotions that we have and turn them into something, I want to say positive, but at least worthwhile. Yeah. So I, I use negative emotions as a point of reference. I, I notice them and I say, ah, okay, thank you very much. This is clarifying what I do want, how I do want to feel. So a really simple way, because we, we can't fully get rid of them. You know, we, it's, we're having this experience, aren't we? So, you know, light, dark, happy, sad, angry, peaceful. Uh, we need all emotions rather than just shut the door on the negative ones. And I think this is where I stuck for many years, because every time I felt negative emotion, I took it as that's bad. Mm -hmm. And then I started to accept that. No, 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 this is really good. OK, I feel anxious. All right. Well, how do I want to feel? Well, I want to feel peaceful. OK, well, I'll choose that. What can I do to feel peaceful? So I think they're really good to be used as a point of reference. You know, when you feel or when people feel anxious or angry or sad, there is there are needs which are not fulfilled. So how can I take responsibility for myself and start to take steps towards fulfilling those needs or communicating those needs to other people so they can help me? Well, the first thing is to recognize it, to slow yes. down enough. I have a friend, uh, Mel Mason, and she said, just, she calls it ATN, allow the now. Just yes. take a pause. And, and I, I've done this recently because I've had some triggering moments lately. And I just have to lay there and say, okay, so just breathe. And why, are, why is this affecting you the way it is? Yes. Now, I love the... I heard you talk one time about a cookie, the cookie story. The talk cookie story. The cookie story with anger. That just cracked me up. Oh, God. Which one is that one? Why do I, I don't remember a cookie story. Well, it was great. You were talking about, and we do this all the time, we've gone out to dinner or something, and we, we've eaten up, and we get dessert, and we bring a cookie back home. And we think about that cookie, and that cookie is going to be our breakfast, and we think about it all night long because we saved it for the next day. And then the next day you go out to get your cookie, maybe to have it with a cup of cocoa or coffee or something, and somebody has taken your cookie. <laughs> they ate your cookie. You can get really, really angry. You've just reminded me of when I was my, my first husband. I actually, in my dream, in the middle of the night, I beat him up because he ate my sausages. <laughs> 
no idea, obviously, because I was dreaming, but I dreamt that I saved three sausages in a bowl and put them on the top shelf in the kitchen and he ate them and then my sausages. <laughs> so therefore he crossed my boundaries. And well, I was so angry. And going back to when you were a kid and you had rationed. Oh, yes. That's yes. where it comes back to because it's like you would save those. Those were special, you know? Yeah. And so for the cookie, but the cookie thing is, you could get really angry and just go and beat up the person that took your cookie. Or you could say, okay, I'm going to go to the bakery and buy a whole dozen just for Yeah. <laughs> I would say you have it and I'll just keep my body clean by having a glass of water. <laughs> well, no, that's too easy. That's too easy. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you need a little bit of sugar. <laughs> I'm not a cook. I'm not a cookie person. But if you take my cup of coffee away, now then we'll have problems. There you go. There you go. And the other thing is that um, I'd heard you talk about being sad and staying in that in that sad situation where you could be really upset about something. And I was thinking my mom uh, had her 88th birthday the other day and she had a lot of flowers. And you talked about a flower vase and how if you're angry, you can just throw that flower vase across the hall, across the room, smash it get it out I mean it always makes me wonder on tv why in the world are people throwing plates and throwing stuff that's going to break and now you have to clean it up that would make me upset I have to clean it up um what's the positive side of being sad though what do you do with it so I I very much used to do that in actual fact I went through a few years of turning the furniture upside down almost on a daily basis because I had I I didn't understand all these emotions so this was before I wrote in the pay it forward series um before then when my temper would just I had no idea why because I was such a placid and lovely person the rest of the time and out, out of nowhere um and and picking up you know that vase I still remember it in the hallway picking up that vase and put it over my head I, I threw it and it smashed into so many bits um it was a huge release but at the same time it came with a lot of shame it came with, you know, I could have caught that emotion. If I knew how I could have caught that emotion before I got so big, I couldn't manage myself. And actually my children were around, um, you know, to, to frighten the children. Um, so I don't get those. I don't get that level of anger anymore. I get a, a, maybe a little bit of frustration or I cross my own boundaries, which we do sometimes that when we cross our own boundaries and then we get cross with ourselves and blame other people. <laughs> for not taking responsibility for ourselves. Nowadays, I, you know, I meditate every morning and every evening. I uh, exercise daily. Um, I look after myself in a way that I don't get there. If I need to rest, I rest. If I need to communicate something, I'll communicate it to whoever's willing to listen. Um, yeah, so it, yes, it was a huge release. It had its own benefits, but it wasn't helpful. Right. But, but the book was, and you've actually gone on to write two more. Can you tell us about that? I did. Books? Yeah. Get them? Uh, so you can purchase them on Amazon. So the first one is my smile book, a recipe for sustainable happiness. And I, I started writing that before I wrote the Pay It Forward series. I just hadn't finished it and published it. Uh, so after writing the Pay It Forward series, got a bit of a, a bit of momentum to you know, continue with my healing for a start because I, I needed to heal my body um, and, and write the smile book. And also during the lockdown, I wrote um, Fearless Lockdown and Peaceful. 
Um, and I wrote that actually because my son was with his dad and uh, his dad would not let him come home because my other half had COVID. And he said he can't come until your other half has been free of COVID, symptom free, uh, 10 days for 10 days. And I said, no, 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 he can come home. Look, it's 14 days. At the time, it was 14 days from the moment the symptoms are right. And it wouldn't have any of it. And I was so angry. That was that anger that bubbled up when somebody, you know, you're not going to take my son away from your new year. And so I thought, oh, I'm so angry. I'm either going to be destructive or I'm going to do something useful and create something. And I really settled into the peace and calm of, of writing. And my son had a lovely time and I had a lovely time writing and everybody was OK. So, you know, nowadays I can choose at the time. I didn't feel I was able to choose until I wrote the book, and you know, the coaching and understanding to look at events and look at life from a different perspective and understand the gifts that every situation brings us. And there are gifts. There are many gifts. You know, I am an incredibly strong person, strong minded for sure. I'm incredibly yeah, I, strong. I heard the word stubborn a few times when I heard your interviews. Yeah, I am. I am stubborn. I will not be told who to be, <laughs> you know, and, and you can understand why, you know, when you when you have a lifetime of, of people telling you who to be, um, you know, and not even even my body wasn't my own. My personality wasn't my own. I, there were constantly models that I had to fit in. And even with relationships, you know, this is, this is to fit in that model. And, and like a little sheep, you know, I tried my hardest to fit into all those different models. And then I arrived at the point where I thought, do not tell me who to be. I will be who I am. Because there's a part of us that's always been there ever since we were born, you know, and, and every single one of us is aware of that part. But somehow, Throughout life, we allow other people's expectations and opinions of us to take over. And that part is silenced. And for me, my whole life, I was so driven to get that little girl who was sitting on the fence looking at the sunflowers back here to be that person who I knew I was. And that's really it's difficult today because we are so inundated with social media and seeing the best of people out there and thinking that we're not enough because we're not doing this and this. I mean, I honestly, in full transparency, I was in a mastermind meeting the other day with some women that I consider extraordinary, extraordinarily successful entrepreneurs. And as they were talking about their things, all of us, I was feeling very small, feeling, oh my gosh, I, how can I be with this group right now? And I was just like, and then I started thinking, we are, and I've heard you say this too, but we become the average of the five people we surround ourselves with. And I was surrounding myself with really powerful women. So even though I was having a low moment, they acknowledged that it was a safe place, that we all have those moments. We're not always on 100%. So just kind of absorb it, learn from it. I sat there and I just listened. I listened to all their successes and all the great things they were doing. And I said, okay, so I can incorporate that and that, or I can just sit here quietly and feel their energy because I needed their energy to kind of pop me up a little bit. So who are the people you're putting yourselves around, yourselves around right now? Because you had a lot of bad influences around you as you were growing up. So take some time. Well, oh, to, I have some wonderful friends. I have some really, really beautiful friends who are, they will always prioritize peace, kindness, happiness. 
which is lovely and, and very inspiring. I also have a lot of friends who are coaches and therapists. Um, so again, we're, we're very focused on not just helping ourselves and being the best versions of ourselves, but, but helping other people. Uh, because uh, apart from that, if I didn't have this group of friends and, and obviously the, you know, the authors and my children, it could be quite difficult because I work with a lot of traumas mm. um, all the time. I work with a lot of traumas. I come out of therapy room and then the children have their own little anxieties and then things need to be sorted out. So it's very important to balance that with, you know, the, the, the people who are uplifting and, and also through my meditations, through every single day, I need to learn something. My mind wants to learn something, whether it's energy work, whether it's spiritualism, whether it's more about happiness, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, every single day, my mind wants to learn something, something that reminds me that I've chosen happiness. Because we can't have two emotions at the same time. We can't be happy and sad. So we have to choose. And if I feel sad, I will honor that emotion. And I have a very, very simple process. All I do is I say, how am I feeling? I'm feeling overwhelmed. Okay. Thank you for letting me know. Thank you, my body, my emotions for letting me know. What am I thinking? Well, I'm thinking I need to sort this out and this is upsetting me. I need a, da, da, da. And then I go, stop, stop. How do I want to feel? Well, I want to feel peaceful and I want to feel happy. So what better thought can I choose? Everything's fine. Things happen in life. Things have to be done one step at a time. Are you a list person? Do you write things down? Because I tend to do that. Um, I do make lists, but it's, it's mainly to get the stuff out of my head okay. so that my mind doesn't become clogged up with things I worry about. And then in my diary, I have a paper diary and I insist that a paper diary is so valuable. Because every single day I write in there, I write my clients and I write two or three goals that I need to do for myself and to move forward, whether it's in my business, whether it's within the home that something needs organizing. I write in no more than three. And then I just get on with it. So, you know, always to me, it's about not overloading the brain. Mm -hmm. Just keep it, give yourself plenty of time, give yourself space. Sometimes, you know, going to the supermarket, coming back, cooking dinner for the children, helping more of the homework, having three clients is enough. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it stops at the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, and it's a lot. So I, and this is where, you know, Kazia with, with her um, teachings came in really, really wonderfully well with a, with a nurture space and understanding that, we do need to stop and nurture because for me, it was, why can't I operate like other people? As you say, in the group of people, I used to go to networking events thinking, oh, I'm two hours in, I need to go home and rest. And I used to beat myself up thinking, oh, am I burning out again? Is it because of my past? And to just accept that, no, no, it's okay. You've socialized for two hours. Now you might just need to rest and that's okay. Half the problems disappear when we give ourselves permission. It comes down to permission and it's yeah. okay that we need to give ourselves permission, allow ourselves just to be present and to feel and to rest. I mean, I used to feel really guilty if I was, I'd be busy, 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 busy. And then I get so tired that I would go and I would sit down. I'd turn a Hallmark movie on. I still do. And then, you know, I'd get, I get teased for that and I I'd get small. And I finally said, you know what? That makes me happy for 15 or 20 minutes. It's my way of just, Clearing the brain, yeah. getting a few M&Ms, peanuts, you know, little protein, 
And then, then I can go back, but it yeah. just needs a few minutes of me time. Yeah. yeah. And then we can give, and that's so, that's true about all of us. Take, you know, when we fly, take the mask, put the mask on first. You can't, yeah. can't do this without other people. So <laughs> you're darling, my friend, and this hour has flown by. It always does. See, come on. I can't see. What's the oh, yes? Wow. How did it get there? I told oh, look, Debbie, I can see you. <laughs> What's the one thing that you would want folks to know about being making today ridiculously amazing? How can they do that? You know what? I well, one of the first things I would say is if you can't smile, fake it. You don't do it very long before it becomes a genuine smile because you're sending signals to your brain to release the happy hormone. So if you can't smile, fake it. Uh, and the other thing I would say is always remember that you are in charge of your own happiness and of your own, of your own joy. You are in charge of that. So you decide how much you laugh. You decide how happy you feel. You decide how many comedies you watch and how silly you are. Nobody decides that for you because we often look at other people and we wait for them to give us permission to be our best selves. And so we need to be brave, every single one of us. We need to be brave and say, I decide right now to have a really good belly laugh. And that has to be okay. And if you're in an environment where that's not okay, change the environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so, you know, I've arrived at this point where I think, well, you have to be ruthless when it comes to being the best version of yourself and surrounding yourself with people who, who that, that's okay for, and it's a joy. You bring joy to their life they bring joy to your life. So take responsibility for your life and choose happiness. Just choose it in every step of the day. And prioritizing yourself does not mean you're selfish. It just means you're taking care of yourself. It's it does. It does. My children know if I'm, if I'm in the living room and the doors closed or they'll come in and I have my headphones in, they don't, they don't disturb me at all because they know that mom needs this time to, to rest so that her nervous system is okay. So that her mood is okay. So that her energy is okay. Yeah, but it's taken me a long time, a long time. <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're going to live long lives, so we've got a long time to go. But you're amazing. <laughs> you're an amazing lady, and I love your smile. How can folks get a hold of you if they'd like to get the book and to contact you? So the book is on Amazon or on my website, www.flaviapowell.co.uk. Um, you can also contact me through my website or through my email, therapy at flaviapowell.co.uk. We'll put that out with the show. Thank you so much, my dear. You are a breath of fresh air today. And I'm really grateful that we could have connected across the pond. I wish you a fabulous day. And thank you so much for being my special guest on Stand Up and Speak Up. Thank you so much, Debbie. It's been a real honor, a real pleasure. Thank you for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you are the victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, Florida, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, make a small donation to help victims around the world receive the help they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, 
Check out our Benfotemine products at benfocomplete.com. Use the special code STANDUP for a 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thank you for being with us today. Go to my website, The Woman Behind the Smile, for additional resources and information. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and enjoy the replays. My books are all available on Amazon.com and Audible, and I encourage you to join us again. Have a great day.